Good morning, again. Millennials have this thing where we like call it our emotional uh, support water bottle, and this is mine. It's a real thing. Um, also, I've been doing a lot of talking this weekend, and so I'm not 100% confident that my voice will make it through this, which is shocking for me, um, but it is what it is when you've had a busy weekend. Um, I want to say thank you again uh, for your support last night. For those of you who are here, I was just this beaming, ooey-gooey gush of a youth pastor um, as I was watching our students perform and as they did so much of the organizing for this fundraiser. It was this really cool opportunity, yes, to see our serve group work together for you know, their upcoming trip, but just to see the camaraderie and the family between these kids. And a lot of them who performed actually aren't joining us on Serve, but are here on Friday nights. And to see them do this thing together um, was really, really cool. And um, yeah, I was really proud of them. I'm so grateful for your generosity and um, you know, that we have a few more fundraisers coming up before we go. And I am so grateful for the way that you love and support our young people um, they are a blast. They keep me up <laughs> late at night on Fridays, but that's okay. I'm a night owl, so we make it work. Um, this morning, we are continuing on in our sermon series in Galatians, and I thought this series would look a little different than it has been personally. Um, I was pretty excited to dive into it, and Pastor Jen and Pastor Brian have been doing a great job of leading us through it. Um, but I thought it would be like this series where I would like kind of learn how to exhale and it would be relaxing. And I just thought of freedom as this nice, like airy, fairy, stress-free thing. And it is that sometimes, but I thought it would just be like this thing that I would learn how to let go of all of these exterior things and then I'd be free, freer than I have been. And... Um, there are parts of that that is true, but here's the thing that I've come to realize. Um, the biggest thing that I need freedom from is myself. <laughs> yeah, and some of you are laughing, being like, duh, and yes, I needed that reminder, so you're going to join me with that this morning. <laughs> um, I need freedom from myself. It's just a lovely, delightful feeling. Um, but I've I have been convicted by the fact that I want desperately freedom. And with one hand, I'm open, I'm ready, willing to receive it. And this hand is clenched tightly on all of my habits, my control, and my own expectations. So it's working really well for me. Which is why I found this morning's uh, passage so convincing. And so we're just going to look at a few verses this morning in Galatians chapter 2. So I would encourage you to open up a Bible in whatever digital paper format you have uh, in front of you, or you can follow along in the screen. We are in Galatians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 18 through the end. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I proved that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. 
It's this small but loaded and very wordy passage. And it has this familiar verse where we are reminded to die to ourselves. I want to read it again, actually, but I want you to listen. I'm going to read it from the message translation because there's a few things that struck out to me when I was flipping through different versions this week, and I like this one too. So let me read it to you. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. I am no longer driven to, imp- I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back on that. It is, not clear, is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that. To, to repudiate God's grace If a living relationship with God can come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. I have been crucified with Christ. Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, gave himself for me. It's this loaded statement that reminds us that it isn't our life. Our life, our plans, our skills, our talents, our reputation, that's not what matters. Paul is denying the old ways of faith living according to a law and is now talking about this new life in the spirit. And it's a life that is marked by a sacrificial love. And it's interesting because these verses come at this, you know, kind of interesting point in the letter Paul is defending himself. And in these previous verses leading up to it, Paul is is confronting Peter. And Paul is talking a lot about law in this letter. And he is adamant that the old ways are no longer a part of this new life in Christ. But Paul continues on into chapter three off of this kind of conversation. And it's fun, you should read it. And he calls out the Galatians for slipping back into old human ways. And in a way that only Paul can, he kind of goes, didn't you learn anything? And if you continue on in verse three, he says, are you so foolish? After beginning with the spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Isn't that a little bit of a gut check? It hurts. (laughs) Because there's a lot in these verses, and we don't necessarily have all of the time this morning to go through it all, but I want to talk about how these verses immediately confront our own self-reliance. It directly points out that it's not about our life, but the life we live with Christ. And yet, for the Galatians and for us today, we have such a hard time letting go of control. I hear this human effort, 
and I think of all of the ways that I work really hard to maintain the dependence on what I am doing. See, self-reliance is this sneaky thing that pops up in many different ways. It says things like, I don't need help. I'm fine. I know what I'm doing. I'm in control. I got this. I'm the only one I can depend on, and I got this. We hear things like, if you want it done right, you've got to do it yourself. And I've believed it. And I know I'm not the only one. But self-reliance sets us up for unrealistic expectations, which of course we can't meet, because we are not perfect. Self-reliance sets us up for an unhealthy expectation of perfectionism and unrealistic standards. And I see this so clearly in our younger generations. There is this constant need to be perfect because there is the very real fear that their failure might be shown publicly on social media. And so they won't even try. Culture and media create a standard of perfectionism that looks effortless to get there, which is ridiculous. In this pursuit of perfectionism, we almost get tunnel vision. We get a bit fixated, and by a bit, I mean a lot, in which we end up doing most of it ourselves, and we overwork ourselves to get there, and then we end up isolating ourselves from others, which creates more anxiety and loneliness, which, fun fact, is still on the rise in our culture today. This pressure of expectations and control and perfectionism means we are doomed to fail. And it won't just cost us the thing that we are working on, but it costs us our energy and our connection with each other. This pressure is what robs us of our joy of what's happening right now, and it keeps us from seeing the bigger picture of God's kingdom. The ugly side of self-reliance has issues with control. All of us control freaks in the room just got a little bit more twitchy, but every time we think that we know best, every time we try and control the situation, we aren't keeping God at the center, and we aren't letting God be the one in control. And actually, to take that a step further, what we're really saying is that God is not enough in that situation. Our self-reliance drives us to act in such a way that we don't believe God is enough for us. We lose sight of God's vision, and we certainly forget the fact that we don't know what's best all the time. If we believed God was enough, we wouldn't have this need for control, and we would completely change our expectations. Which is why Paul is saying that we aren't justified by works. It's about a faith or life of faith in Christ. If the law could save us, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. But the rules encourage self-reliant thinking. The laws were clear, they were systematic, and they could be upheld and maintained. You did this to achieve this. And it was this orderly process that made faith simple, in a sense. We moved away from a sacrificial system that had traditions and holidays and sacrifices that kept you in the right with God. And beautifully, Jesus came and changed it all. And he said, it's not about the rules. And he demolished a system that enabled self-reliance. 
Jesus came and presented a kingdom based on community and wholeness. Instead of earning salvation, it was freely given. The old, old rules maintain an insular posture almost, whereas the kingdom of God actively pushes us into community with each other. And the minute we realize that we can't save ourselves, our dependency on Christ means everything. Our own independence and the need to do it ourselves can lead us down a very destructive path of thinking that we can save ourselves. We get too good at helping ourselves that we lose sight in the one who came to save us. We don't have to work to gain something or to avoid something else, but we get to live to love God and others. This is what Paul means in verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Paul explains that he was trying to save himself. He lived a very moral life, but it wasn't for God. It was for a reward from God. But now he knows better. Now he lives a life for the one who extravagantly loved him. Cue water break. Here's the thing. Admitting to God that we can't do it on our own and that God knows best is hard. It just is. It's a humbling position to put yourself in, but actually, I think it's harder to trust others. Trusting the creator of the world who knows everything and is all-powerful and demonstrates big love to us is one thing. Trusting our neighbors and our people who are just as broken as I am is a totally different type of humbling. And I, I have really great friends and really great coworkers. I have good ones who encourage me and call me out when I need to be challenged. And they know this about me, um, but I'm going to let all of you in on this. I'm a talker. I know, hard to believe. Um, but I can be quite happy chatting about anything and everything at, at any given time, unless I'm hurting. Then I won't say a word. I'm quiet. I don't make plans with my friends until I know that I can fix it, because heaven forbid my friends knew that something is wrong. So my friends now know that if I'm quiet, something is wrong. It's kind of like a toddler. You know, when they're quiet, you're like, something is being destroyed. It's kind of like my life. <laughs> That's encouraging. I know I'm not the only one who does this. At least I really hope not. So, so many of us can get set in our ways when we have a problem. We get ourselves into this mess, and so we think we can get ourselves out of it. Maybe it's just me, but when things go wrong, we just have this tendency just to huddle in and put up more walls. We almost hide from each other till we can fix it. Which is why, later in chapter 6, Paul writes, carry each other's burdens. It's a built-in balance to keep ourselves in check. We care for ourselves by placing ourselves in a community that we get into the habit and culture of caring and sharing for each other. He's reminding us that we belong to each other. A life with Christ means embracing the body of Christ, and it shifts to what I can do to what we can do as a community for each other and for the world. Being in community is a humbling act. It's like a giant group project. I personally don't know the word no. 
working on it. And therefore, I'm busier than I should be. And I'm a fool, uh, apparently has too much pride to ask for help, which of course means I look like an idiot when I actually ask for help because I'm drowning. But I'm holding myself to these expectations and standards that run me stressed and exhausted, but like I feel like I have to keep up with this person or be this type of youth pastor. But why? What's the gain, Hannah? She asked herself. It is um, my own selfish pride. I am spending too much time trying to look important or failing, and in that, I am failing to meet Jesus in the beautiful parts of vulnerability with Jesus and my community. My best friend likes to remind me that as much as I love to help others and to say yes to them, many of you like to say yes and to help others too. And so that could include me too when I need help. She's a good friend, even when it stings a bit. But the expectation in any circumstance is never that I show up perfect or outdoing anyone else. The expectation is that I live a life with Christ. The reality that I'm not supposed to do it on my own is to keep me humbly turning back to Jesus. Paul knew this well, and he defends himself as commissioned by Jesus, but he consistently points out his weaknesses and points it back to God. And I love the phrasing he uses in 2 Corinthians. I think we're going to put it on the screen. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 6, 6 through 10, he says, even if I should boast... I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I say or do. Or because of these surprising, surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And then later in Galatians chapter 6, in verse 14, he says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If we are centered on ourselves, there's no room for Christ. The more we deny ourselves, the more we can boast about Christ's strength. There's no room for ego or for pride if we're focused on the way of the Spirit. Life in the Spirit is about humility. Paul does not boast on what he can do because he knows his own strength is doomed to fail. We humbly trust in Jesus' strength. And if we're depending on ourselves, we filled all this space with what we think we need. Where is the room for the Spirit to work? How do we continue to cultivate the fruits of the Spirit that are in the upcoming chapters of Galatians if we aren't dependent on the Spirit? Taking it a step further, if we aren't dependent on the Holy Spirit, can we even access the wholeness of the fruits of the Spirit? 
Probably not when we're so anxious and rigid about doing all the things our way. I want to be generous and I want to be patient, but I cannot do that on my own. I have to depend on the Spirit for that. When we refocus our attention back to God, nothing practical is getting done. I love the irony of that. But when we pray, when we worship, when we are spending time with God, we're not doing practical things. I'm not getting things done necessarily. I'm not planning a game for Friday night. I'm not crossing off my to-do list. I mean, at best, I'm commuting to work because I pray in my car, but that's the most productivity I can get done. But in that moment, we are surrendering to complete dependency on Christ. The move away from self-reliance and doing things the right way actually moves us into freedom. Because of course it does. Because when we are fixed on God's plans, God's values, and the knowledge that God knows more than I do, we can be free to what God asks us to do and not create a to-do list. Christ is enough. I know we know that, but we need to be reminded of that. Me, very frequently. Because we're very good at coming up with excuses for God, and we just kind of brush it off saying, well, it's easier for us to get it done. Maybe sometimes in the short term that might be easier, but it is not God's way. And it's not long-term easier because it doesn't get the big picture piece of community. As I was chatting with my same friend about the sermon this week, she said, I think self-reliance is actually a defense mechanism. I think she's right. We tend to rely on ourselves to prove that we are capable, to prove our worth, and to preserve our pride. It's our natural instinct to try and protect ourselves, and our self-reliance is a wall we rely on to keep people from hurting us. It makes sense. We rely on ourselves for the control or for the sense of worth it gives us, but it is rooted in this doubt that everyone will let us down. And if you follow that route even further, it can be a mistrust of our own worth as we work to find our worth in what we do. But ultimately, it's a mistrust of God. Sometimes I I think that's harder for us to diagnose um, in our interactions with other people because we're really good at blaming. But as Christians, we have to track the implications directly to our relationship with God. We doubt that God isn't who he says he is. We doubt that God is sufficient. We doubt that God actually is with us, and we doubt that God is enough. And we wonder if God is actually providing for us, because it's so very easy to doubt God's goodness because goodness doesn't show up in the way that we expected or that we think it should. The antidote is vulnerability. By stripping away our need to be self-reliant, we take steps to be vulnerable and authentic. When we are vulnerable in community, it allows us to be seen and validated. And it's in these relationships where we see people loving each other for their whole self and not what they do. The step of putting down our defenses and putting down our pride and putting aside our control lets in a fresh wave of authentic community. When we lay down our walls of defense, we're actually surrendering it all to God. And that's when our faith gets exciting. 
We can be vulnerable with God, honest, yes, about where we struggle to trust him, but it's in those beautiful moments where God can reveal himself to us. We leave behind our plans and our expectations and move into a path of faith, and we experience joy because we are captivated by what God is doing rather than acting out of obligation and expectations. We are living life with the Spirit and leaving dead the old laws. The step of, the step of obedience is surrender. We lay down our control and we walk into what is unknown to us and what is known to God. Our life is dead. And we walk in a new life with Christ. And I get it. It's a pretty countercultural message. Everything in our world tells us to rely on ourselves, that we are the writers of our own destiny. But we're here as a church this morning to tell you that you actually gain more by giving it all up. Freedom is found in the surrender, and it makes no sense to give up the messaging of the world, to give it all up, to give all of our own credit up just to fully surrender. But that's why it works because we're surrendering to the only one who can handle it and to lead us well. And this is what Paul is saying when he says, I no longer live in one line, and says, I live in the next line. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and then he says, I am alive with Christ. It's this beautiful irony of death actually meaning life. Surrendering actually means freedom. And that is the wonder of God's gift of grace. As we wrap up this morning, I want to remind us that freedom from self-reliance looks like freedom from expectations and the need to be perfect. It means being vulnerable, and it means that we get to care and be cared for by others. Freedom from self-reliance means accepting a freely given new life of freedom. There's no catch, there's no expectations, and it's not something that we have to control. We don't have to work to pay God back. We just get to relish in the gift. We have new life simply because the Son of God loves us and gave himself for us. And that's what I want to pursue.